Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of Dogcast Radio. Our online home is dogcastradio.com, where there's a pile of pooch podcasts to please you. There's a lot of stuff about dogs anyway. Later today, we'll be hearing from the author of My Rescue Pet Rescued Me, Sharon Ward Keeble. Miko, he is my youngest daughter, Faith's dog. She is his human. He is her baby. And he loves her so much. And on the nights when she can't sleep, when she cries, he's always there for her. But before that, police dogs are awesome, aren't they? I can just imagine how scary they are if you're a criminal trying to make your escape. And thank goodness for the bravery, speed and determination of our lovely police dogs. Did you know that when a police dog retires, they're often left with no financial support? But there's a charity which aims to support retired police dogs in need. And we'll be finding out from trustee Kieran Stanbridge more about the Thin Blue Poor Foundation. The Thin Blue Poor Foundation um, is a charity um, which supports serving and retired police dogs from the UK. Um, It came about um, in my um, uh, previous role. um, I worked with a gentleman called Dave Waddell, who is a police dog handler for police. um, And he um, owns the famous uh, ex-police dog, Finn, um, who was unfortunately stabbed on duty, but made a miraculous uh, recovery. Um, And during my time working with Dave, um, he campaigned very heavily for Finn's Law, um, which was increasing the animal sentencing um, for attacks on any type of dog, but particularly service dogs more yeah. so. And one of the things that he wanted to do, and there's a bit of a, a gap. So when he achieved Finn's Law, the gap then after which was there was people are unaware that when a police dog retires in the UK, um, whilst they're serving their veterinary care, their food, everything that they need is paid for by the police force that they serve with. Hmm which, you know, everyone would expect. Yes. Yeah, but what people don't realise is when that dog retires, the financial part of their commitment goes. So as soon as it retires, you know, whether that's because of medical grounds or because of, you know, old age, as soon as that dog retires, the cost of their care and their veterinary treatment falls to their handler if their handler retires the dog or a member of the public who steps forward and takes on the dog. So Mm. quite shocking, really, after kind of seven eight years of service they're very much kind of obviously given to these people whether that's a member of the public or, or the handler um, and obviously unlike pets they can't really obtain insurance um because if you think about it seven or eight years working for a german shepherd and you know as a breed they're prone to certain medical conditions anyway and that's going to be duplicated by you know the job that they've been doing for seven eight years things like arthritis etc so across the uk there's there's a number of local charities that support um the police dogs from their area um but actually there was about 30 forces that didn't have any type of support whatsoever wow um which is quite shocking and i think you know as the charities kind of progressed and we've we've heard people's stories you know handlers have had to make a difficult decision whether they can retire the you know their best friend their colleague yeah. for seven years because actually are they going to be able to to pay for that dog in in retirement you know you're going from paying you know nothing to then paying its food you know it's veterinary treatment and you know as a charity, you know, we've already come across bills that are four or five thousand pounds. And financially, that puts a massive burden on whoever is, is looking after that dog. And unfortunately, in some situations, 
the the you know that dilemma of you know can I afford a dog or is that dog going to have to be put to sleep because actually I can't look after it um you know and we never want anyone to be in that situation so yeah yeah. I mean that's that is a horrendous situation because as you say they're Mm. they're colleagues aren't they I mean I I know the bond I have with my dogs and that that we're a team you know and how close we are but my goodness to have a dog as a colleague and you've put your life in their paws yeah. You know, you've trusted them. That bond must be just incredible. Um, and so from that point of view, that, that's a horrendous situation to be in. The other thing that strikes me is we do owe these dogs a good retirement. We can't just throw off any any uh, responsibility or, or, or debt to them because we couldn't live our lives without police dogs and without working dogs. So anybody that's listening to this thinking, well, this, this isn't anything to do with me. Yes, it is, because you couldn't go on public transport or go to a concert or, you know, there's so many things that that uh, these dogs do and, and they keep us safe, um, you know, from criminals. They, they just they're amazing, aren't they? And they do deserve to be supported. No, absolutely. I suppose, you know, from from speaking to Dave and, you know, I'm one of the trustees along with, with Gemma, his wife, I think for us it was they are service animals they have provided a service an impeccable service yes the communities they serve and as you said you know the work of a police dog is the work of about 100 police officers so if you put into a situation you know regularly on our social media channels we post about the amazing work these dogs do on a daily basis you know that's from something as you know yes detecting drugs at the airport or exposes to keeping you safe when you're going on on a plane but you know when you come down you know to them searching for a vulnerable missing person that hasn't been seen yeah. for a couple of hours, you know, traipsing through fields and, and et cetera, um, and, and locating that and saving that person's life, you know, they're invaluable. And in the work that one police officer, a police uh, dog does is it is really equivalent to about 100 police officers. And I think, you know, um, there is that argument sometimes, well, should we be using dogs for this, for this purpose? And I actually think absolutely we should, because actually fundamentally they are a great asset. They protect lives, they save lives. But as you said, we absolutely, absolutely have a duty of care to ensure that they're supported after and I think especially in the UK no one's adverse to the budget cuts across all public services and that we have experienced for the past you know 10-15 years and I think it is very difficult when you think about uh, from a police force perspective if they're supporting their dogs in retirement you're potentially taking away 10-15 police officers off the beat because the cost that's going to you know build up with, with looking after them but there is a duty of care there. And that's yes. really where the Thin Blue Poor Foundation is working with these forces. So we've got great partnerships with Derbyshire, Surrey and Sussex, you know, a number of other forces where they are saying, absolutely, we want to support you. We'll fundraise for you. You know, um, they are really kind of showing their support or to the extent that they can. And I think that's really important that as a charity that we're able to build partnerships with people like Animal Friends Pet Insurance, who donated £100,000 to the foundation wow, last excellent. year, which is, which is incredible. And, and us as a charity being able to work with partners and the forces themselves to ensure that the dogs have the best care, I think you know is amazing and that you know that's what we're really striving to do to ensure that you know no one has to make that difficult decision that we will be there and we will support their dog when need be yeah yeah absolutely it's 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 amazing as soon as I heard about it I was just so in awe of it it's it's just wonderful it's very very necessary so was there a specific incident that that inspired you to sort of to get involved and, and to found the charity or or was it to your I know you're a German Shepherd fan was it that kind of long love what 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 was it that made you do it 
I think from um, my perspective, I think, you know, um, in my previous job and, you know, working with Dave and, and in some of the other things that I do, working with police dogs uh, on the front line, I think for me, you know, they are invaluable. They do such an incredible job. And I think um, I felt like I had a moral responsibility as a member of the public to step up and support these dogs. Um, and, you know, speaking to Dave, speaking to, me, to many handlers, you know, um, is my passion for animal welfare. And I think, you know, I'm very privileged that, you know, my German Shepherds, as you know, I have insurance from day one when I get them. Uh, and actually, you know, these dog handlers or members of the public that retire these dogs don't have that luxury. Yeah. Um, and, and I completely understand why, you know, um, they're not insurable. You know, they are trained to bite and um, to, you know, to detain individuals. Um, they come with pre-existing conditions. So I completely understand from that perspective. So I think it's my you know, it's my passion and, you know, particularly, you know, um, Dave will say, you know, Dave as a frontline um, dog handler uh, experienced a very horrendous instant on shift where his police yeah. dog was stabbed. And, you know, luckily Finn made him a miraculous recovery. And um, there are long-term implications for a dog like Finn, you know, whilst whilst he was serving all of his uh, treatments paid for. Now, the foundation can't pay Finn's treatment because Dave is a trustee, but there are many dogs out there, for example, like Axel in Derbyshire, and he was stabbed on duty. Um, and made a recovery but now he's retired there are side effects and there will be lifelong conditions and actually I think you know mine Dave and Gemma's um moral responsibility and we kind of felt that actually no one was doing something but actually that's not the reason not to do anything yes so can we come together with our skill set you know my background's marketing comms Dave's is um you know being a police dog handler Gemma is, is a police officer so we kind of felt that you know we were a bit of a dream team to be able to pull this together and I think it's all of our passion you know we all do it for free no one gets paid for running the charity you know all of the money goes to supporting dogs so you know, it's a passion project for all of us, really. And I think, you know, um, the work that we've done and, you know, the difference we've made to these dogs' lives in, you know, not even being around a year, um, we're really proud of. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I, I've interviewed Dave and it, to hear him tell his story of what he, he and Finn went through that night. I mean, at times when I interviewed him, I was thinking, keep talking, Dave, because I can't talk at the moment. I'm choked up. You know, I don't know how he does it. He's amazing, isn't he? But yeah. and, and that, that was horrendous. And I will put the link on to to that interview so people can if if anybody's lived under a rock and not heard that story, they can hear that story. It is incredibly moving. So t- tell me about some of the dogs that you've helped. As you said, you, you, you're a young charity, but you've already you know helped so many dogs. So tell me about some of the dogs you've helped. Yeah, so um, we've helped over 40 um, retired police dogs in the first year, some of them once, some of them about nine, ten times now. Um, So we support um, dogs from across the UK. Um, So, for example, um, there is a police dog in Bedfordshire um, that retired called Police uh, Police Dog Blade, um, and he requires ongoing medication for arthritis. Um, So the charity will fund that medication for him. And that's, you know, a couple of hundred pounds a month. You know, that isn't, you know, a lot in the grand scheme of things, but to an owner, that is a lot of money to be paying for that kind of long-term medication. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of like a small um, grant that we've, we've given. Um, and then we go right up to, for example, um, retired police dog um, Atos. Now Atos served with um, the um, Ministry of Defence Police, you know, done a number of royal duties, protecting members of the royal family. Um, and unfortunately, when um, Atos retired, he ruptured his cruciate ligament. Um, and that was about two and a half thousand pound operation. Um yeah. And we, you know, as a charity, we're very fortunate we were able to cover the full extent of that surgery um, to, to enable him to live a very happy and healthy life. Um, sadly, um, only last week, um, which is common in uh, cruciate ligament injuries, the other one has um, snapped yeah. as well. 
Um, so together, the cost of that treatment is about five, six thousand pounds. And again, the foundation is delighted that we're able to pay for that treatment. We are really proud of the work we're doing. You know, Atos is one dog. We, you know, retired police dog Pablo from Norfolk and Suffolk Constabulary. You know, he located £250,000 worth of drugs in his career. Wow. You know, an amazing sniffer dog. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, um, his owners detected a mass and that required an operation. And, you know, that was a difficult decision they were put in because the operation was £4,000. They are, uh, you know, a young couple. Um, they are saving, you know, they've got, you know, potentially children, etc. on the way. So they're saving for that. And that money would have taken a massive chunk out of their, their savings. Um, for us as a charity, we stepped up and, and we covered the cost of that operation. And, you know, it's we as a charity are really proud of, you know, not only the small grants that we're giving, but also, um, you know, being able to pay for these thousands of pounds operations to ensure that, you know, the dogs are having the best care because they provided us with exemplary service. So why shouldn't they get the most exemplary, you know, retirement? So for yeah. us, being able to pay for those operations and ensure they have, you know, a long and um, fruitful retirement is exactly what they deserve for what they've given to us as, you know, during their service. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and like, as you were talking, I was thinking, even if anybody's listening that doesn't like dogs, I don't know why they're listening, but <laughs> if they found us by accident and they don't like dogs, just the financial um, argument is compelling, isn't it? They've saved us so much money and, and recovered things. Um, but also it strikes me, you're obviously you're making life better for so many dogs, but also for the owners, because it's a horrible situation to be in. I think, oh, they need this treatment. Can I afford it? Can I not? You know, so you're you're helping dogs and people, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for, for us, you know, some of these are, um, you know, many of them are home to their handlers. So they are working a current dog, they may have their own pet dog, and they've also retired their police dog. And, you know, financially, we, you know, we know in the public sector, they are not earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year as frontline police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not everyone has that luxury of a, a you know, a disposable income to an extent where they have 10,000 pounds in savings. And, you know, we never want um, a dog to um, be put down um, or to be rehomed again from their handler um, out of no choice of their own and you know they should never be in a situation where they have to choose and and we've supported a another police dog in another area whose handler you know is a single mum is a you know full-time working police dog handler you know simple as cutting the paw was an 800 pound vet bill and that's that's an extortionate um, amount for them to for her to find as a single yeah. parent um, you know, doing a full time job, looking after her, her young child. And, and for us as a foundation, you know, being there and, and being that support blanket, say, you know what, we've got you covered. So as you say, we're not only are we ensuring the dogs have the best treatment, but we are also ensuring that, that no one has to make that difficult decision. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, one thing that strikes me is when a dog transitions from a working, particularly sort of a, a police dog, from yeah. a working life to a pet life. That's a huge change. So, yeah. how do you help them make that change? Do you know it's a you know it's a really interesting um, thing, and it's something that I, as a trustee, didn't consider when I started the charity. It's something that um, speaking to the handlers, actually understanding that you know it's a massive transition for them. And if I use, um, for example, Dave and Finn, for example, you know, um, Finn is used to every time Dave puts his boots on, you know, getting ready, going to work with Dad, spending the whole day at work with Dad. He yeah. goes from that one day not knowing the reason why to the next day of why Dad's taken another dog with him. Yeah. So. You know, Finn, for example, will sit at the window and wait for Dave to come home every day. Bless and you know, 
I know it's absolutely adorable. And I think, you know, that's not an uncommon story. And if I talk about retired police dog Ty, who served with Hertfordshire Police, I was speaking to his um, handler and, and uh, partner um, a couple of weeks ago. And, and Ty really struggled with, with that. He's a Belgian Malinois, you know, going to work with dad every day. Um, you know, their new police dog, Bonnie, you know, suddenly took over the reins and it was going there. And, you know, Ty was very depressed. Um and for them, the bit that really brought Ty out of his shell was they went on a family holiday together. Uh-huh. They went on the beach. It was the first time Ty had been to the beach. Um, and they took him out of, you know, the home environment, took him on holiday. Apparently he was a new dog. He, you know, had the bond he had with the family, you know, he kind of, that kind of was a signal to him of, right, this is my retirement now. You know, I'm on a beach, you know, when, when police dogs are police dogs and their handlers go away, they have to be put in police kennels. They are a licensed police dog. They're not allowed to leave the area that they serve with, which means they're not allowed to, you know, they're not allowed to go on some holidays um, because they are a, you know, highly trained working police dog and they need to be kept in that environment. So for Ty, it was his first time on the beach, first time in the city. And they were saying, you know, after that visit, it was kind of like he knew, okay, dad's in safe hands. He's going, you know, to, to work with Bonnie. She's keeping him safe. I can relax and put my paws up now. And actually, I think that's a really, you know, lovely story to hear. And what, you know, didn't mention earlier was Ty actually had to go to the vets before they went on a day because he was having anxiety and actually nibbling his paw. So actually, as a result of the anxiety, because he wasn't going to work, that manifested in a physical problem. Um, but, it, you know, for us to be able to support, the, you know, you know, the family in, in paying for that vet bill, ensuring that his paw was thin you know getting better and then then being able to go on holiday and him knowing you know what this is my retirement now I can put my feet up you know put my paws up and and dad's safe you know to be able to settle back into that environment and it is a really difficult transition for them at times I think because you know Mm -hmm. they are going from a fast pace you know driving in the back in the back of a car driving on blue lights all the time barking getting very excited at jobs getting out you know tracking for miles looking for missing people you know they could be in a situation where someone's got a knife and tackling them to the ground to then going from that one day to I'm going to go and sit on the sofa for the rest of my retirement now so you know absolutely it takes a while for them to settle but I think you know it's things like you know taking them on holidays and, and getting them used to kind of you are a pet now that I think over time they gradually but as Dave would say say to you and, and um retired police dog ties owner you put them in the back of that police car they would you know go straight back into to police yeah. dog and would absolutely do the job that they were trained to do you know even you know Finn is 12 you know at 12 years old so they never lose it they may be retired but you know they're always on the case yeah bless them I mean that's an important point actually that we we haven't talked about yet that working dogs have a good life for, for a lot of us it's a good I mean I'd, I'd be quite happy television plate of biscuits cup of coffee that's me feet up I'm sorted but you know and dogs will enjoy sitting on the sofa with you but they need to do something first don't they they they, they actually love I've met quite a lot of working dogs and guide dogs and you know the whole gamut of, of working dogs and they love let me say that some dogs will sit on the sofa with you and be happy and they're, they're relaxed, chilled dogs. Some dogs really have that drive to work. And I think a lot of dogs, more than we think maybe, but a working life is a good life for a dog, isn't it? It's not like a case of, come on, we're going to force you to work. The dogs have this drive to do things, don't they? Yeah. And you know what? I think sometimes people people forget 
every pedigree dog breed was bred for a purpose um yeah. and you know you only have to look at you know the gun dogs working dogs pastoral dogs they're all bred by human beings for a particular reason and to do a job yeah and if we evolve as human beings they have evolved with us they you know they are becoming more kind of you know chilled not necessarily in their working environment but yeah the joy when you look at a police dog working where it's got its nose down it's tracking for you know a, a criminal war and, it, and when it finds the criminal that kind of reward and you know i've seen many police dogs being trained it's all done by positive reinforcement it's all about you know getting the best out of that dog and and for them what people don't realize it's a game you know yes you know i had you know the 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 luxury but also not the luxury of hiding in the cupboard waiting for a police dog to find me as part of their training and i can tell you it's the most frightening thing hearing those paws coming down the corridor where you're in a cupboard thinking like if this door opens you know i'm in trouble yeah um, and actually you know them coming down them locating you and i'll you know as soon as they saw me were barking barking you know and actually their owner chucked the, um, the hand they chucked the ball in they got their award and for them it's a game for them they're finding yeah. somebody and you know their nose are you know noses are incredible you know thousands of times better than ours and i think you know sometimes people use that argument of you know we shouldn't be using animals in the police force or in the army etc but actually they have a fantastic life you yeah. know they yeah. are you know mentally stimulates and I think you know some of the behavioral problems that you know we have with dogs in the UK are sometimes down to their lack of mental stimulation yeah um, absolutely 100% agree yeah absolutely yeah. And I think, you know, it's very easy to think, oh, it's a dog, you know, it's, but it was bred for a reason. And actually, you know, you know, mentally simulating it, even if you've got a pet dog, you know, doing a tracking course or doing obedience or agility, you know, is a great way just to keep their minds simulated. And I think, you know, you only have to, I was at Surrey and Sussex Police Headquarters yesterday, seeing the dogs work and and and, and training incredible i mean their their drive their you know their their want to please their their handler is remarkable and the the joy coming from the dog and the handler was just amazing to watch so i think you know whilst people might say oh but they're in a kennel because a lot of them are kenneled outside or you know they're working you know is it fair you know me personally when i've seen every handler and, and the dog the bond they've got together their ability to kind of read each other's mind know what each other's thinking and the joy that dog has when it achieves what it needs to achieve you know locating a missing person or indicating on drugs for them they are on the go all the time having the most amazing experience but equally they get to retire as well so you know they get to experience what it's like to be a pet but actually the life they've lived is is one of of joy yeah yeah it's lovely to hear you say that because about the 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 play aspect you know the, the motivation for them i've watched displays at crufts you know the police dogs in crufts and yeah. i was lucky enough to go and, and not with police dogs but with dogs doing schutzhund trials yeah. and and as you say and, and they said you can put the sleeve on if you like you know the sleeve that the dogs bite and yeah. the first time i was like oh what if the dog misses the sleeve and gets me and oh my goodness and and the first time the dog got the sleeve and was pulling the sleeve and you're like oh she's got me and then he said, let, let go of the sleeve. And I did. And she just ran off with the sleeve and brought it back. Like, come on, let's play again. And yeah. it was, as you say, it was purely, it was a game. It was tug. It was fetch. Yeah. That's all that, there wasn't aggression. And, and, you know, I think that's the wonderful thing that we can, they can do this job for us. And they're not, you know, slavering beasts who are aggressive. They're, they're doing a job. They're playing. It's the motivation. And, and it's wonderful, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, walking with with Dave and his dogs and, you know, other police, you know, when you're around a police dog, they are a dog. They come yes. up, you know, you can stroke them, play a game of ball. I mean, I'll give you a prime example. Bonnie, who was tracking me um, uh, in the um, uh, building, 
before I went in and, and hid, playing with her a ball, etc., you know, having fun, I go in, I turn into the person she's looking for, and then she's barking at me. It's not barking out of aggression. It's, hi, Dad, they're there, they're there, Dad. Come on, yeah. they're there. And, you know, they are they are trained to, you know, to latch onto an arm, but yeah. for them, it's a game. And what, you know, what many people don't realise is, you know, if you don't run from a police dog, they're not going to bite you. If, yeah. you. if you're running and then you stand exactly still, that dog will back up and stand and bark at you and bark at you because what that dog is trained to do is it's trained to let that handler know i found who you're looking for mum or dad um yeah. and they're, they're there what they're then trained to do is if you go right i'm gonna you know you know chance my luck and i'm gonna start running oh my god it's a game it's a game that dog's right you know that person's running oh great i know what i need to do i'm gonna hold on to his arm because that's what i'm trained to do yeah. that's not aggression that is trained play so that dog knows actually you know, I've got that person, dad, dad, mum, mum, they're here, they're here. So I think, you know, you only have to see a police dog in its kind of non-working environment to know that they're not these, you know, growly beasts where they're, you know, they're aggressive. You know, Dave, you know, he's got police dog hero, you know, other, other handlers, they're fine with their children. They go, you know, go on walks together. They are a dog. They are, they fit in as part of the family, but that dog also knows when it's time to play that game at work that I know what I need to do to get there. And, you know, Police dogs at the airport, for example, they indicate on a bag because someone's got drugs on them. Well, once they've indicated, you'll notice a handler will generally chuck a ball to, to congratulate them. What that dog is doing is that dog wants that ball. That dog doesn't care that that person's got cocaine in their bag. They want that ball because to them it's like, I found it. I found it. Right, can I have my ball now? And, you know, a dog, a dog will only do that if it generally has that drive and want to please their owner but also if it's having fun and I think you would absolutely know if a dog didn't want to be a police dog because it wouldn't get past the course or it wouldn't you know achieve its license because actually it's not designed for that environment yeah yeah I I mean like I I say you know to me dogs are very similar to people they're different you know there Mm. isn't like a generic dog that will all of them will do this that or the other but they have different talents so yeah you may find some who are more laid back and more who are you know have more drive about them and that's so as you say the ones who who don't wouldn't fit that life well they don't make it through the course and they go and have a different life and that's you know that's great for them but the ones who do they have a great life too no definitely i think also i mean you know you only have to look at you know um police forces in the uk they take gift dogs so dogs that maybe are in a family environment you know under 12 months old and actually that dog has got a lot of behavior problems within that pet environment is actually that needs more in its life it needs that simulation and then they you know get re you know the gifted to the police they goes on to have a fantastic career achieving amazing results and because that dog needed that that's yeah. you know that dog was bred for that reason and actually that environment it was in wasn't a productive one for that health and welfare of that dog and actually the best environment for them was in a working capacity and likewise you know breeding schemes you know west midlands breed their own police dogs a number of police forces in the uk breed so Selectively breeds, they work out exactly, you know, the qualities they need for a great police dog. Well, not all of those puppies will will make it to be a police dog. Some of them will be like, I'd much rather put my paws up and have a very chilled family life. And actually, as you say, just like people, some are absolutely designed to be police dogs and some are designed to be lying on your couch at home and having a cuddle of an evening. So, you know, but the ones that are working, you can tell their drive and their enjoyment for what they do is, is, you know, renowning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But time and time again, I come across this, that the pets who, who, sorry, the the dogs who make challenging pets, who Mm. who don't really 
succeed. They're not happy as pets and the people yeah. aren't happy. You know, they can make outstanding working dogs. But as you say, their needs just weren't being met. Yeah. And so the working life is is it turns them into a different, you know, a much happier, easy dog. Yeah. And, you know, that's why the likes of Battersea and, and other organisations, they have a particular person who works for a service dog. So a dog will come in. If that dog isn't designed to be rehomed again to a family, they are assessed. They could become a guide dog, a hearing dog, a police dog, because, you know, what we forget and, you know, as a society evolves, pedigree dogs particularly were bred for a reason. They were bred to yes. work. Yes. Um, and, you know, sometimes as people, we look at a dog and we're like, I really want that breed because they're really cute but actually is that the right breed for me because you know a belgian malinois you know absolutely delightful you know but it needs a very you know a strong kind of um, owner who's going to do a lot with it you know that belgian malinois is not designed to be snuggling up on the sofa of an evening because it has that drive to want to work and i think that's a really important advice i think regardless of you know anything kind of when it comes to dogs don't get a dog because you like the look of it yeah find dog that actually will suit your personality you know if you want to run you know miles and miles every day I wouldn't be getting a little dachshund do you know what I mean yeah it's about finding a dog that is right for your lifestyle not just because it's going to look great on Instagram yeah yeah I have to I have to say because I know we'll get dachshund donors say but my dachshund can run miles and they were breaded I know they will do miles but but maybe with shorter legs not as many miles as a longer leg but for example on that subject I mean I love pointers I think they're sometimes called English pointers but you know the the pointers and um and they're just my kind of dog they're athletic looking and they're short-haired and they just really do it for me but they need to run and run and run and run and that's what they were bred for they as you said exactly what you said that's what they were bred for that's what we've selected them for and so yeah. I admire them from afar. I love them, but I couldn't yeah. really meet one's needs. I wouldn't want to keep doing keep doing that much activity. So I think that's we're very bad as people at looking as a, at a dog and going, I like the look of that dog. And we don't yeah. really look at what's going on in their head. It, absolutely. I think, you know, if I go back to that example, you know, my sister, for example, um, owns Dalmatian. Now, Dalmatians were bred to run alongside horse carriages, run miles and miles and miles. So if I am a very athletic runner and I want to run miles and miles and miles, my you know thought process would be I would get something like a Dalmatian versus a Daxon because yeah. a Dalmatian... Oh, yes for example to run miles and miles and miles and mm. as my sister will you know will tell you having a dalmatian you know great gracie absolutely bonkers but yes. delightfully bonkers <laughs> but it needs a lot of mental simulation because yeah. and, and a lot of exercise because as a breed they were you know they were bred for for that reason so as you say i think it is really important as you know regardless just because the dog is cute and it comes down to german shepherds they are adorable. I own three, you know, I'm, you know, the biggest advocate of them as a breed, but they require, you know, a lot of stimulation. They require, you know, a really structured upbringing to ensure they become a really well-rounded dog. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we, you set yourself, yourself and the dog up for an unhappy life if you don't look at what they want to do. Um, We could talk about dogs all day, but I've got one eye on the clock. So, is there anything else that you really want to say about the the um, Thin Blue Poor Foundation that you haven't had a chance to yet? Yeah, so um, I suppose for us as Thin Blue Poor Foundation, we are funded solely by donations. So it's members of the public and our you know partnerships with, for example, like Animal Friends Pet Insurance. I know when we launched, particularly on that, uh, people were like, well, why aren't pet insurance companies you know supporting these retired dogs? And I understand, and we understand that it is, it is really difficult at times to be able to to offer you know them with pre existing conditions, etc. 
but you know we are funded solely by donations and you know if anyone wants to find out about how they can support the charity and um, you go on our website it's thinbluepaw.org.uk we're also on facebook twitter and instagram at thinbluepaw where we share the remarkable work that these dogs do um on a daily basis and i suppose for us it's about you know whether you can do a bake sale or you know you can you know run a marathon for us you know every pound really does make a difference to these dogs and ensure that they have a really fruitful um fruitful retirement yeah yeah that that's brilliant i hope, I hope you get lots and lots of support because it's a really worthwhile cause and as i say we couldn't live the lives we live the lives we live without these dogs could we so it's it's Absolutely. vital we do this Absolutely, you know, definitely agree. You know, they are remarkable. They're saving lives every day, and, and we owe them a, a huge amount of, of gratitude and, and thanks. Absolutely, what a wonderful charity! We have all the links you need to find out more about and get involved with supporting the Thin Blue Poor Foundation at DogcastRadio.com. Kudos to Kieran, Dave, and Gemma for having the idea and seeing it through and being there for our police dogs. <laughs> If you're being chased by a police dog, try not to go through a tunnel, then onto a little seesaw, then jump through a hoop of fire. They're trained for that. Milton Jones Many of us know the joy of giving a loving home to a rescue animal, watching them blossom and find happiness and security. But those rescue animals can have a life-changing and sometimes life-saving effect on their humans. Writer and journalist Sharon Ward-Keeble knows about this from her own life and from researching and writing My Rescue Pet Rescued Me. She lives in a beautiful part of America. You're in beautiful Florida. I am. And it's very hot today. (laughs) It's really hot here, so for once. (laughs) Yeah, but it's very humid here too. Yeah. Oh dear. Mind you, see if I've got to have it hot and humid anyway, I'd, I'd rather be in Florida, to be honest. I'd rather <laughs> come out and join you. But there you go. There you go. And you, you also the other thing that is lovely about you where you are is you've got four dogs and well three cats. And um, t- tell me about the Hemingway cat. And I, I love him. That, that he's, he's Ernest. <laughs> That's Ernest. So um, we adopted Hemingway and Ernest. Hemingway was Ernest's sister. We adopted them both when we went on holiday to the Florida Keys. We brought them home with us as you do. Yeah. And um, they were actually from the Ernest Hemingway house. Oh. And so they I, are. See, I was. I thought. I'm, <laughs> I thought Hemingway cat was a breed of cat that I'd not heard of before. Oh no. <laughs> so I, yeah, no. right. You you teach me. So right. Okay, I get it now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> But they are called Hemingway cats, not just because of that, but because they have more than five toes. Um, Ernest has six toes on one paw and seven on the other. So his feet are like boxing gloves. Oh, bless him. That's what we're typing, isn't it? Hemingway typing. He was a writer. Yeah. (laughs) How appropriate for you, though. I know. (laughs) So you've always got a dog or cat ready to sit on your lap or go for a walk with. Absolutely. Excellent. Some would say too many, but um, we love them all. They're, yeah. so, they're all so different. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? When you get to know them, they've all got their own little opinions and preferences and likes and dislikes. And, I mean, I, I always say they're their own little person, and my husband sort of goes, you know they're not people, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I we speak to our animals and our dogs and cats like they're people. Yes. Like they're, they're family members and they're good friends and... 
yeah, yeah we love absolutely. them that's how it should be they are family members aren't they definitely definitely yeah now we're going to talk about your book today my rescue pet rescued me amazing true stories of adopted animal heroes um love it wonderful um where did the idea for the book come from so I wrote a book a couple of years ago called My Rescued Dog Rescued Me. Hmm. And it was it was popular, very popular. And, you know, I got to thinking, well, you know, in my travels as a journalist, whatever, I met a lot of people who have actually adopted animals in general. And I thought, yeah. That'd be, you know, a great follow up book. And it was really great book to write. I, I met and talked to so many interesting people so many interesting humans who have adopted animals and given them great homes yeah it was a pleasure to write it was amazing (laughs) yeah wonderful wonderful it's lovely it is I mean it's I I understand because um I know last no hang on it was earlier this no it was last year it was 2020 either all the days merge into one at the moment don't they but it was 2020 and and my daughter um Jenny she's, she's a grown-up actually she's not like a child but she was saying oh my I've just seen it on a friend of a friend on Facebook they're looking for a place for these their rats um and so we were like yeah okay we'll have to do it carefully because of Covid but yeah okay yeah we'll take them in so we had these rescue rats um oh. and they're, they're lovely they're, I mean we had rats before and they're beautiful they're so interactive they're like a they're like a a dog in a tiny body almost you know they're lovely so I, but it's it's wonderful that they and they do come with their own character and personality and and just they enrich your life so much and there's there are lots of dogs in this book but tell me about all the the range of animals there are in this book so we have as you said dogs cats um guinea pigs bird um donkeys horses um oh gosh oh a tiger yes Which is actually one of my favourite ones. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an amazing book. I love books like this that just celebrate animals and the bond between us and animals. And it's just, yeah. it's amazing. And I think as well, because I mean, there's a budgie and there's all kinds of things. And until you've had that bond with whether it's, you know, a tiny, tiny little hamster or whatever it is. And weirdly, I mean, my, <laughs> my daughter thinks odd things are cute. And she had hissing cockroaches, these big hissing I can't remember where they were but anyway they're hissing cockroaches like big ones and she got quite attached to those I didn't get quite so attached I would sit and look at them but yeah and um I always think when when you've cared for an animal and you get that bond going they they matter to you and that's all that that's that does matter isn't it that you've got that bond they're part of your family part of your group and there's that love isn't that exists between you isn't there Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely right well I think with any animal if you particularly if they've come from a bad background and you take them in and you're able to give them a good life and you love them, they show that love back and they're so loyal. It doesn't matter pig, but there's a pig in the, uh, well, pigs in the book, duck in the book, turkey. (laughs) And, and, you know, their owners, sorry, they always call them, they're humans. Yeah, yeah. They have the biggest bond with them. Yeah. They help them through the most terrible times in their lives. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they can't speak and if they are, you know, they just have this way of making their owners feel better, yeah. feel like they can cope with their lives. Oh, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I almost think sometimes it's they're not speaking is an advantage at that point, isn't it? When you really need just just another creature with you who's not demanding anything, not sort of. And humans are wonderful, but we do have that tendency to say, you are right. What are you thinking? How can I help? You know, whereas and there's that pressure to, to speak because we can. Um, whereas with an animal, it's just company, just undemanding company and just they're always on your side. And it is just it cheers you up and buoys you up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel, for example, Daniel the duck, um, his his mom before she got him, she was involved in an awful accident. Yeah, and um, she has severe PTSD, and um, they they he actually saved her from suicide wow. on several occasions by being there, and he knew instinctively when she was having a really bad time, and he would go to her yeah. and love on her, and um, yeah. Yeah. And he, because she had to look after him, she would. She knew that she couldn't go through with it. Yeah, he yeah. was her responsibility, and she knew he loved her, and she couldn't. Yeah, oh, and it was just this unconditional love. Yeah. He showed her. Yeah, she wasn't yeah. alone. Oh no, no. Mm. I mean, lovely. we had ducks. We had Indi- Indian runner ducks, and they well again little um, characters and. I think as lived in the garden and, and they were very much a, a flock, but you know, the one or two, if they did live inside for a while, if they had an injury or whatever, you, you did begin to see more of their character come out, you know, and, and it, it's amazing. And, and that, it's that living in close proximity with them that brings their characters out so much and you get to know them and they get to know you. It's just amazing. But um, yes. let, let's talk about some of the, the dogs in the book. Now, you have personal experience of of this rescuing capability of rescue dogs, don't you? So tell me about Miko. So Miko, he is my youngest daughter, Faith's dog. We got him, we adopted him when she was 11. And um, my background is my husband, David, um, Faith's dad, he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease about five years ago now. It was 2017. And my daughters and I, I have three daughters, but we've had to watch him deteriorate. Um, Mm. Motor neuron disease is is awful. Yes. In that it um, completely renders eventually the the person with no control over their muscles. So my husband now is in a wheelchair. He can't do anything for himself. Mm. And we're all help. We all have to help him. I'm his carer. And it's it's a really awful disease, and she. Yeah. So we've all had to watch him go downhill, if you like, yeah. from being a very abled, very active person, to being somebody who can barely speak now and is full time yeah. in a wheelchair, can't do anything himself, and it it affected my little one. Yeah. She was like I'm I think so nine. Yeah. She was nine, I think, when he was diagnosed, and. Um, she got to say where she didn't want to see a friend. She wanted to be home all the time. She became quite withdrawn. And it was obviously very worrying. I mean, 9, 10, 11 years old. And she'd always asked for a dog. Uh Even though we have our dogs, she'd always wanted her own. And we had a, a family meeting and it was coming up to Christmas. And we were like, let's get, let's adopt a dog for Faith. 
So we looked around. She'd always wanted a German Shepherd or a Husky. Yeah. Anyway, we found, eventually found Miko, who was the last in the litter. Oh. And it's quite a funny story because we went and picked him up at a gas station, a petrol station at yeah. like 10 o'clock at night, like a handover of this dog. <laughs> um, and um, this little dog was like this big. Oh, he was so tiny. tiny. Yeah. And Faith knew about it, though. We did tell her. So like the day before that we were doing this and yeah. um, I guess they they needed to adopt all these puppies out because um, they couldn't keep them all, you know. Yeah. So um, we took him back and um, he cried one night for his Aww. mom. Yeah. But we had him, she had him in the room with her in bed straight yeah. away. <laughs> and um, from the get-go, he was just what she needed. Yeah, perfect, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. She they played outside. She taught him all these tricks. He slept, like I say, he slept with her from the go. He followed her everywhere. Still does, yeah. of course. Yeah, and oh, um, I think the the big thing with him was um, he was he is she is his human. Yeah. He is her yeah. baby. And he loves her so much. And on the nights when she can't sleep, when she cries, yeah. he's always there for her. Oh, bless He him. loves her so much. Yeah. She loves him so much. And yeah. he knows when she's feeling sad. Yeah. yeah. And he's there for her. Yeah. It's just a wonderful presence. I, I remember when, when Jenny was, oh, I think maybe 18, um, and she injured her leg. Um, perhaps she was 20 and she injured her leg and Buddy, my black Labrador who was, I think was about sort of, he was knocking on it 11, 12 and he so he, he thought, actually he thought it was wonderful that there was a human who was sitting on the sofa all the day that he could just settle down with and that was heaven for him. But she, you know she said afterwards, I wouldn't have got through that without Buddy, you know should I, I'd have just I don't know, gone mad because the pressure on her and we didn't know at, the, at that time whether she would ever walk properly, whether she'd get out of the wheelchair, all these things. And she'd have to stop, yeah, pause her A-levels and all, all so many pressures. But Buddy was just there with her and he was, obviously he was thinking, this is great, I've got you. And so he was cheerful, you know, that's another thing that the animal doesn't go, oh, this is dreadful, is it? It's just, this is great, you're here, I'm here, yay, we'll have a party. And they just cheer you up, but yeah, it's so... And when it's your child as well, and you you feel so helpless as to how do I cheer this child up? How do what can I help? How can I help them? And and the dog or the or the cat or the animal, whatever it is, does it. It's just such a weight off your shoulders at the same time, isn't it? It really, it absolutely. We I was getting to my wit's end. In fact, we all were getting to our wit's end because yeah. Faith is has always been a child who's full of full of it, full of everything, you yeah. know. And to see her. And she would try and hide it. So she would sit in a room because she didn't want us to get upset. She didn't want me to get upset or a dad. Yeah. So she would go to a room and pretend she was doing something else. Mm. Um, but actually, when we got Mika, of course, she didn't want to be in a room. She wanted to be outside. She wanted to be playing with him, training him. He went to school every day to drop her off. We waited every day as she got off the bus for him, for her. Yeah. And um, he would run to her like the clappers to meet her after school. And yeah. that kind of love and attention and 
I mean, it just did wonders for her. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, I can yeah. just imagine. I can imagine. I mean, I, I remember when my husband isn't really, a, wasn't really a doggy person. And w- it was really me that was pushing for the dog. So we got the dog. And <laughs> and Buddy just won him round because, for example, every time when Anthony came home, Buddy was there going, oh, wow, this is wonderful. I love you. You're home. I've missed, you know. And it's such a hard heart to go, Mm, you know to resist that and go well I don't really want this you know you just you you do go yeah okay I'm happy to see you as well and they just when you're out so when you're starting off already that you are a dog person you want this dog you know it's it's it, it's just wonderful it makes you yes. feel so so good I mean you I was with Buddy just loved everybody and so many people would walk away going that dog really likes me and he did you know it was nothing personal but he did he liked them but then when you get that from somebody else's dog you know, most dogs will say hello, but some dogs really seem to take to you and seem to like you. And that just sets you up for the day, doesn't it? You know, that dog really likes me. There's something about the approval of a dog that just, you, you think, yeah, I am a nice person. Yes, oh, I agree completely. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely to have them running up and jumping. And, well, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say that, but um, I love it when they jump up and you can just yeah. live on yeah. them. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter whose dog it is. Yeah, I know. Well, I've had to train myself because you go, no, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. And then, you know, you always think, yeah, but the next person might think it doesn't matter. So, okay, <laughs> you're training right. your dog. Okay, I'll, I'll try and hold myself back. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, I know what you mean. It's just like, yeah, come, come meet me, I don't care. <laughs> oh. But, I mean, the, the book is a real celebration of, of this and, and the, you know, the love of dogs and, and animals just comes through, shines through. Um, so let's talk about some of the other, I mean, there's there's... there's Lots and lots of, of stories. Um, so if we just talk about a few of them, because obviously we well, don't have time to talk about all of them, but we'll, people, we want people to buy the book. <laughs> um, so um, tell me, I, I love Daxons. So tell me about Alicia and Zippy and, and Miley um, and the experience that um, Alicia went through in her car. It sounds horrendous. It was incredible. Um, so um, Alicia was dropping... Um, she was working. Uh, she's um, from up north over yeah. here, and she was um, she was uh, working. She was del- delivering something that day, and um, she'd got Zeppi with her, yeah. and he was. She was kind of fostering him. Yeah. Um, she she w- was thinking about possibly adopting him because they got on so well. Yeah. But anyway, so she was um, she was there, and um, there'd been flash floods. There'd been terrible weather, mm-hmm. and um, she was in a truck with him. And um, they, um, the road was closed. It was at night. Yeah. Um, the road was closed. And um, she was directed a different way. And um, she went to drive through the water. Well, it was, a, a, I believe it was a river that had been burst yeah. its banks. Yeah. And she got swept away. And um, they, well, it wasn't exactly swept away. Um, she she got in the water and it was moving her. Yeah. So she slammed on the brakes, and um, the water was rushing in. It was it was terrible, and they kind of stopped. Yeah. And um, all she could think of was, you know, she she was going to drown because mm. the water was coming in. She got the dog, and um, the the dog actually sat on her chest. Yeah. As if yeah. he knew to kind of keep her warm, keep her calm yeah and um she was like that for for quite a while trying to be calm you know how it would be and then out of the darkness she heard she saw lights and she heard a boat yeah 
well, they couldn't hear her. Yeah. And she knew that this was probably her chance to be saved. And um, she sent the dog out. Well, it was kind of a bit of both of them, really. She she kind of pushed him. She, obviously, she didn't want to endanger his life. No, but, no. But she thought maybe if they could, if he could swim to them, and he did. Yeah. Wow. And they he started barking. He started swimming, and they heard, and um, he brought them, you know, to where she yeah. was. She, they saved wow. her life. Yeah. He saved her life, really. Yes. Yeah. They'd have just gone straight past, wouldn't they? Wouldn't yeah. They? Yep. And then, and she, it turns out, you know, she she was so cold. I mean, it was so cold, and uh, she was taken to hospital, and um, she's very lucky to be alive. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then after that experience, because obviously that 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 tra- traumatized her, didn't it? And that had a lasting effect. But then strangest thing she tried kayaking didn't she and it's just that's so counterintuitive but, yeah but it, it worked didn't it tell us about it did. it did and she had another dog Miley and yeah. um now Miley is another rescue yeah and um she she'd already got her um because she had a drug problem yeah and it was that dog that saved her from that. Yeah. And she thought, you know what, if I can go out in the, in, oh, she really wanted to go kayaking and yeah. go and do the stuff that she really, you know, she's always wanted to do. So with a friend of hers, they went and she took Miley with her. And the, it was kind of, it was like stepping over the Brit, the, the abyss if you like yeah she's either going to do it or she wasn't and she did it with the dog and now they do it all the time Brilliant. because it was it was a great experience for them both yeah Excellent. and having the dog there helped her tremendously with her nerves and her yeah. anxiety yeah. so yeah um, it was great yeah wow what a so I mean such a positive story saving a life and then helping her sort of live her, her best life that's amazing and I mean, a, a, another story, which is a, so um, dramatic with Gabby and Mo. Mm. Um, so, so tell us about them, because that is like a really dramatic story all the way through, isn't it? Well, um, this is a story that I, you know, I, it's, the, the, girl, the lady is incredible, yeah. brave and just, um, oh gosh, what, I'll tell you what she was. So... She was at a party mm. and the, the was well, a friend's house and he had two big um like Staffordshire bull terriers, I think yeah. they were. And um so she was petting the one who she'd known for a long time, and he yeah. just recently adopted this other one. And um she um went bent down to to give love to the new one. To give him a pet, pet and everything. Yes. The old, the one that she'd known for a long time, she thinks it was jealousy. Yeah. Came running and just went for Gabby. Yeah. And got her face, ripped her nose off, ripped all hair off. Yeah. Of course, it was absolute chaos. Yes. And, yeah. um, and there was blood everywhere, wasn't there? It was awful. Absolutely. Blood everywhere, like you say. Um, and... 
they they couldn't um attach her um her nose yeah um she um was to the hospital of course yes she's had a lot a lot of um surgeries yeah because of course you know it led to breathing problem oh Mm. it was just horrendous and for a while she was frightened of dogs but she does mow her dog saved her in so many ways because um she knew she had to go out yes eventually she knew she had to go out and um she knew she um had to look after the dog her yeah, mo and, and nice. before that she was they were going out for walks all the time yeah and mo needed to go out and then another thing to her story was um because she was disfigured effectively yeah going out she did go out a couple of times but people are so cruel yeah yeah you know and um but she knew that mo had to go out she knew she yeah. had to get back into a, a life with her dog so she did. She went out with Mo. They went to their favourite places again. They went eventually. She she could take her out to where people were. And when she was having a terrible time, because she did have PTSD, of course. Yes. When she was having an anxiety um, attack with the PTSD, Mo was there. Yeah. To be with her. And she just knew she would come and sit with her and um, love yeah. on her. Yeah. And uh yeah. Oh, so no. so and, and Gabby now has a job with yeah. dogs. Brilliant. And uh, she actually works for a rescue. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, oh, a dog rescue. Yeah. And um she loves she loves it and she's you know she is okay with how yeah, she looks. Good. Good for her. Yeah. But I've I've heard that before that sort of um it was from somebody that took their um their dog into as a therapy dog into hospitals and mm-hmm. you know if there ha- are people who have had disfiguring injuries or treatment you know um obviously with people you can be a bit oh I don't want you to look at me but the dog just accepts and goes in and doesn't treat them any different from anybody else just hi I love you you know d- let's let's interact and and it's that so just acceptance mm-hmm. and they don't treat you any different whether you're you know a if you've had an injury or if you're rich or you're poor or whatever the, the you know that you are it's just if you like me I'll like you and that is absolutely such um, a valid thing to say because um she was worried a little bit about about Mo and yeah. whether or not she would want to come near her or do anything with her oh. and um no Mo yeah. was fine Mo yeah. didn't care a thing yeah. not at all she oh. she would go still and kiss her on the face yeah. kiss yeah. her lick her everything yeah it didn't matter because she was still mom yeah absolutely and she that was must still be a, mother. a wonderful kind of validation just just being normal with you you know because mm-hmm. I think in that situation you you would kind of either cut the person extra slack or you would if you didn't know them so well you wouldn't say anything or you wouldn't you know but the dog's just like okay I love you life is normal come on Let's get on with it. And that's, you yeah. know, I think that's that's wonderful. Yeah, oh, it God. is. <laughs> wonderful timing there. <laughs> the dog's that agreeing would, with us. <laughs> that would be Miko. <laughs> Hi, Miko. Yeah, you, the, you agree. The monster. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Love it. So big. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's that leads us on to the next story I'd like to talk about, which is Lizette, Lizette and uh, Beauty. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of attitude of 
when bad things happen and bad things will happen it's kind of how we react to them and a dog will just accept and carry on you know and and a dog I really think it's important to get the message out there that dogs that have disabilities don't they deal with them so well they do deal with them so well whether they can't hear as well or see as well or get around as well whatever it is life is still for the living and they get on with it and and, and I, I think that's so admirable and such a good example to us um I'm just speaking my words carefully because <laughs> last time I discussed it with Jenny um in a podcast and she was saying you're kind of implying there that people don't deal with it well and I don't mean that I don't know I, I know there are incredibly brave people around that, that have a awful things before them and they they do get on with life I don't mean that at all I just mean it seems to come so naturally to dogs to animals that they just think okay I'm here I'm doing this we'll we'll get on with life so that's that's all I mean and so but tell us about Lisette and and Beauty because that's another wonderful story yeah this it is a lovely lovely story so um Lisette was living in Dubai Mm. um sadly in Dubai they have a lot of street dogs um a lot and we, we kind of talked about that quite a bit because um she was so shocked when she yes. was there living because um almost everywhere there are dogs living in um living in little packs or living on their own yeah, so or, you know it's terribly sad and um there's a bit of a mentality over there I I believe I've been told that you know you don't want your dog so you're just slinging in the street yeah um which is terrible of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so as a result there's a lot of dogs that need homes and um beauty was one of those dogs three legs and yeah. um, they think she'd been in a terrible road accident oh. and um she'd lived with her injuries for a little bit yeah. and um she was taken in by a charity yeah. and Lizette worked for that charity and they tried to get a home for her and I think if I'm right, we remember it. I think maybe she'd been taken in and take, sent back because whoever taken her in couldn't, couldn't, you know, cope with the injuries. Yeah. Anyway, um, Lizette took her in. Just as she took her in, though, she had to go back to England. Her father passed away. Yeah. And um, but she stayed in Dubai with um, Lizette's um, husband. Yeah. And. Um, Lizette was in England for some time, of course, dealing with her father's death. It, and it was very traumatic, as, as it is. Yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, she did go back to um, to Dubai. And Beauty was a great help with her grief. Yeah. Um, they'd already got a bond together. Yes. But I guess when she got back, Lizette, um, she really, Beauty really helped Lizette deal with her grief. Yeah. She would sit with her and she knew she had to walk her. She had to get out of the house. Yeah. So she would take her out for, for walks, long walks, and just getting out of the house yeah. was very helpful, you know, because I think when, you, when you're dealing with grief, part of you wants to just be on your own, deal yeah. with it. But yeah. beauty, of course. Yeah. No, she wanted to go out. <laughs> so... And then she came back to England and she set up the doggy lottery, yes. which is an amazing thing, inspired by beauty. Yeah. And they raise, they sell lottery tickets and they raise money for um, 
for dog charities and dog rescues by selling these and this is amazing charity and they've raised quite a bit of money quite a lot of money I should say for the charities they they have charity every week or every month I think it's every week and the proceeds go to them and it's all inspired by beauty and by Lizette's um, time working for this animal charity in Dubai wonderful I love it when there's two things there when somebody has an idea and then they see it through you know when those mad ideas strike you and you go wouldn't it be wonderful to whatever but when people go yeah I'm going to run with that actually I'm going to make it happen wonderful you know and yeah, also when, she's amazing yes yeah. just an amazing person yeah good for her. and when the right person and the right dog come together and that magic happens you know and, and yeah. I, I just love that it's, it's weird yeah. how we we find each other isn't it it is it really is and sadly it's a there are so many abandoned dogs cats animals out there and a lot of them don't don't find their way to to a forever home yeah and I think you know that's I just wish everybody everyone could yes because it's not their fault yeah most of the time they're just abandoned because their owners just can't be bothered anymore or I mean, over here, unfortunately, that is the case. Yeah. So many people I've spoken to, that they're just dumped on the streets. Yeah. It and it's sad, terrible. It? Yeah, terrible. It's, um, they, they're sort of disposable, aren't they? Oh, I want the dog or the, or the cat or whatever it is now. It will help me. Right, I don't need them anymore. Bang, off you go. And it's just, no, no, no. It's, if you take them on and they help you, which they will, pay that back and you keep them and you mm-hmm. look after them. It's, it's, a, it's, a, right. it's a bargain, isn't it? Between you, it's, it's a, a balance. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's, and it's just terrible to see. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Dreadful. And of course, we can't all rescue every one of them, can we? That's the thing, isn't it? No, no. But I mean, we've done lots of podcasts on what you can do if you can't um adopt a dog at all or if you can't adopt another dog at the moment yeah. you know how you can still help so there are lots of ways that you can support rescues yes. um and, and that's great to do lovely it's it's a i've really enjoyed the book thank you so much for sharing those stories thank with you us. um is there anything else that you'd like to say that we haven't had time to yet or i would i would really like to um encourage people not to buy animals not to pay for them my kind of motto is adopt don't shop yeah you know there are so many like we just said so many of them need homes so many rescue centers so many people who for whatever reason can't look after their animal who would willingly give you their animal you know please look around you don't need to pay for an animal or for a dog you don't need to there are so many out there who would oh love to be your your friend yeah part of your family yeah there's so many just look into it at least just look into it and I just hope the book actually in the book there is a list of um charities who are more than willing for you for people to give them a call ask them what they do what they've you know what animals they have there's a big list in the book so have a look at that list or just go just go on the internet, your local places, just do it. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, whatever animal, I always think, you know, whatever breed of dog, but whatever animal you're looking for, there will be a rescue. I mean, my daughter's friends with someone who does exotic animal, you know, snakes and um, uh, reptiles and that kind of thing, rescue. 
And it's amazing there, the, the animals that, that are, uh, you know, and either somebody doesn't understand the needs of the snake or the size the reptile is going to get to or whatever, and go, oh, no, and they end up in rescue. And But it, it's amazing the, the animals that are waiting in rescues for us to go mm-hmm. and give them their forever homes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you're so right. When I was, like, researching the book, yeah, I, I was amazed at how there is almost literally a rescue for whatever animal you could ever want. Yeah. But not far from me, um, we have a monkey. I, I mean, the story is in the book, actually, the lemur. And um, she has a rescue, a monkey rescue. Wow. Yeah. And oh, all over the place, though, there are these monkey rescues. Yeah. And, and things. I was looking, it was like close to me and I was able yeah. to go and, and meet them and play with some of the le- a lemur, actually. Yeah. I played with a lemur, <laughs> which is so cool. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, there's a, if you want any animal, I'm sure you'll find a rescue for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So writing this book, this this was fun for you as well as worthwhile. Oh. It was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> I, got to, I got to speak to the most amazing people. I got to, but I mean, that was just so cool, though, playing with, with this lemur who who was like going into my book and sorry, my bag, my handbag and like picking pens out and just throwing them around. <laughs> but then he would come and sit on my shoulder and just put his shoulder and then look at my ear and like pull my ear. <laughs> it was great. So I just feel so, I was so lucky to be able to yeah. do this. I had such fun. Yeah. You know, and I'm, as you probably tell, I'm a massive animal freak. Yeah. I'm a massive animal just, lover. Just <laughs> Oh, but then when you have that enthusiasm it's lovely to be able to share it with other people isn't it yeah, it really is it really is and if if honestly if, if if the book can encourage people to to adopt then it's just an amazing yeah. amazing oh lovely saying that tell me where can people find out more about the book so it's available for pre-order on Amazon right now and in all good book, sh- book um, websites. And then it'll be in shops from August 12th. That's exciting, isn't it? It'll be out so soon and oh, and then, oh when it comes to fruition. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's kind of a labour of love. And then when, when you start, this is all going on, it, it really is exciting. You know, as a writer, it's to see it. And uh, I just, I, I, I'm in love with the cover. They did such a good job. Yeah. Oh, and our Miko is on the back cover. Ah. <laughs> yes. So he's the, the dog in the middle. Yeah. Oh, the perks <laughs> of being the writer's dog. There you go. You're going to be a cover dog. Yeah, excellent. But I think when you write something, you get so caught up in the process of writing it, you forget that the main purpose of a book is the reading of it, you know, that it isn't just the writing of it. But, and that's, I think, when the fun starts and you get that feedback and the reading yeah. of it, that's when it really comes to life, isn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. You're right. Oh. It's, it's so exciting for, for us anyway. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Do you have a, a website that people can find more about you? I do. It's um, www.sharonwardkeeble.com. And I have a Facebook page also, which needs updating a little bit, but... Yeah. Don't we all? I know. <laughs> okay, we'll put those links on, on in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Thank you ever so much. And I can't wait to see what the next book's going to be, My Rescue What? <laughs> Rescue. Well, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say. Actually, oh, okay, don't. But there is, hopefully there is one coming. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to interviewing Sharon about that new book.
If you go to dogcastradio.com, you'll find all the links Sharon mentioned there, as well as some great photos of some of the dogs we mentioned in that interview. You do not own a dog. You have a dog. And the dog has you. Chelsea Handler. That's it for this time, except to say, until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What's a dog's favourite summer activity? A barbecue.